and these things. <laughs> we don't, though. <laughs> so that's great. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to 2 Timothy 4. We're going to be taking some time. But before we do that, uh, as the weather is getting nicer, it's a beautiful day outside. I'm really looking forward to these social times that we have. So please keep those in your calendar and on your mind. And if you have any questions, talk to, uh, as Pastor Matt said, the nobles. Um, but today is uh, Mother's Day. So for all you people who forgot, you still have time. Uh, you can still go to the store and make it special for your mothers. But we also just praise God for godly women. Uh, we all have examples of godly women in our lives who walked with us in certain stages, who prayed for us, who rebuked us if need be. And we thank God for godly women who seek to be that, and God has blessed us dearly. But as we were reminded today uh, from, Second Tim or from Timothy and Titus, uh, we also have great leaders. So please be praying for our elders, for Dave Noble, for Dave DeHaan. See, that's two already. Uh, we have seven Daves, um, and two of them are on our elders board. Uh, and also along with that is uh, Peter Mayberry and uh, Pastor Matt. So please be praying for them as well. As a church... We seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our, I don't know what you want to call it. That is our mantra. That is our mission. And it's not new. It's from the Bible. It's not something that some clever guy came up with. Jesus did. So that is what we're called to do. This isn't new. And it's right from Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. But here's the question. How? How do we do this? As a church, how do we do this? We want to be faithful to the mission that God has given us. We want to be faithful in that and be bold with this. How do we, as a church, be disciples ourselves and go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ? And we try to sum that up in three ways, in just three simple words, as we look at pulpit, table, square. So over these next three weeks, we will take some time to go over these once again to remind ourselves of how we go out to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And then after that, we'll take some time to do a quick little thing through Philemon. But in Paul's second letter to Timothy, Paul is encouraging Timothy to keep an eye on the goal and what he has been called to be and to do. By the time we get to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, of Paul's second letter to Timothy that we have, Paul gives specific reminders to him on the importance of God's word, that he is charged to hold it, keep it centered, to cherish it, to teach it, to preach it. And it's an encouragement to you and to I as well. As we seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. So the main question that we're going to seek to answer today is this, why do we preach? Why do we sit here in these wonderfully comfortable chairs and listen to a man preach for 40 minutes? A good sermon or bad sermon. Why do we do that? Why don't we just sing songs or watch videos? Why do we do that? Why is preaching such a central, important part of the mission to be disciples, disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 2 Timothy 4. We'll just be reading verses 1 to 5. We'll be bouncing around a little bit today, but that's what we're going to be doing. So first, 2 Timothy 4. 
the word of the Lord says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, also work, sorry, as for you, also be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. On this beautiful Sunday, we get to come together to magnify you, to worship you. As your people who you've called to yourself, but also have called together, Lord, I pray indeed that we would make much of you today. God, we think of other churches that are gathering in very much the same way. I think of West London Alliance and Pastor Jude, that you would use them in a mighty way, that you would bless them as they too seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Give, the, give wisdom to Jude, Pastor Jude, and the elders there as they seek to shepherd the flock that you've entrusted to them. And Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to speak of you. I want to worship you, praise you. God, I can't do this on my own, so will you not make this turn out well? So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. So as we're looking at answering this question of why we preach, one of the first questions is this, what do we mean by pulpit? We are the church gathered. That's why we gather together in this very place where we come together in a large group to corporately worship our awesome God. We've sung all of these songs to bring our eyes up from whatever has been happening this week in our lives to bring our gaze back up to Jesus. That's the same thing we do as we open God's word together. As we open God's word together in this large corporate gathering, it's not a stop in our time of worship. It is a continuation of our worship. You worship by how you listen. Not like when you're in school and the teacher's teaching and you're like, what did he say or she said? We gather together as a whole community to make much of Jesus. And we do that through something called expository preaching and singing songs that are singable and testify of the richness of who Jesus is. We seek to do this well and with excellence because God is worthy of it all. And we do that through prayer and singing and preaching and tithing and baptism and communion and, and all of those things because God deserves our best. And we gather together as a whole community to make much of Jesus. The purpose of this time is to instruct, to encourage, and rebuke, to exalt Jesus. So by pulpit, we mean expository preaching being the main diet of preaching from this pulpit. And as a disclaimer, this sermon is not an expository sermon. Please don't come back to me and be like, you didn't do that on Sunday. I know I didn't do that on Sunday. But look at what I said. I said the main diet as we walk through John together, we did that seeking to do that expository. So how do we preach? We seek to make the intended meaning of that text known. 
We open the Bible, we read the chapter or the passage that we're looking at, and the pastor comes and seeks to make what God has intended known. Not me, not whatever the news said, not whatever the politicians said, God. And this is what we do as we seek to preach expositionally, which is to declare precisely what a passage of Scripture is saying. So even when it comes to the sermon outline, or it comes to the main idea, or the subpoints, it should come directly from the Bible as the preacher expounds or explains. And why do we do that? Why does this matter? Because God has an intended meaning, and expositional preaching seeks to know that. You ever had a conversation with someone and they completely missed the point? And you swear that you, you explained it as best you could. Like you thought about it, maybe you wrote it all out and you like just read what you said and they come back and they say something completely different. Or I remember that time in high school when I was taking English class, I had one of those old school teachers, he had a meter ruler that broke many times. They need to have more teachers like that. Um, but I remember taking English class and we were doing a poetry unit and we were reading this poem and the teacher sits, stands up there and asks, hey, what does this mean to you? And I remember even in grade 10 going, what does that have to do with me? I don't, hey, I don't know, because it's a poem and it's cryptic. But did not someone write this with an intended meaning? Did someone not mean to say something as they were writing it? which is on the, po the, the, the one who wrote the poem, right? If I have to decipher what they're trying to mean all the time and it takes so much head knowledge and work, I don't know if they're communicating well enough, but that's a side point. But what does this mean to you is not the question. We are actually having a class coming up that will talk and teach about how the Bible, how to study the Bible and how to pray according to God's word, which I encourage you to do. But God has an intended meaning in his word, and we seek to preach that and to teach the meaning. But in order to do that, we may need to know how to study the Bible in a way that does that. When we open God's word, we often come to God's word and we say, all right, I read the passage, checkmark my devotional, and I say, right, now what does that mean to me? There's like two other questions that you need to ask before you even get to that question. The first one is, is what did God intend to say? What am I learning about who my God is as I open God's word? Because as one of my professors says, every time you crack the book, you're face to face with God. And if that's the case, he has an intended meaning and he's seeking to communicate something specific because God has chosen to specifically reveal himself in his word this way. Like, I don't have to guess what God wants, what he desires, what he thinks about me. He's already told me in his word. It's there. I've got to open it. So the first question is, what does this show me about who God is? Or what is God intended to mean by this passage? So that's the first thing. God has an intended meaning. And that's what we seek to do when we preach God's word. And the second one is this. As we seek to preach God's word, is to help people apply it to their lives 
the truths that this passage is saying. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And here's the big point of why we preach this way. We preach the word of God this way because that's where the power of transformation comes from. God uses his word as it's faithfully taught and preached through the work of the Holy Spirit that we just talked about with the question to convict and to change and to sanctify, to make us more like Jesus. It is only through the word of God as applied by the Holy Spirit in, the hearts of, in our hearts of, of men and women that are transformed. See, great, great presentations are great. Right? Who doesn't ever like to go to a presentation or a TED talk and go, man, he, did a, he or she did a great job presenting that. But it's not life-changing. It's God's word that does it. Why do we preach? Why do we preach this way? We do, we spend so much of our service reading God's word and praying and, and preaching God's word. Why do we spend so much time on this? Why don't we spend more time on songs or videos or, or I don't know, dancing? And this is why. Because the word of God is what is needed to transform lives. That's why we preach this way. We preach and we preach this way because 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 comes before 2 Timothy 4. Go figure if you know your math. <laughs> 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is prof profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what do we mean by pulpit? We mean to make the word of God central to all we do here at Norwood. Especially as the church gathers. We are the church gathered to exalt Christ through the preaching of his word and through singing these songs that exalt Jesus. And we do this through the preaching of his word in this way. The goal of this time is not to leave this place and say, man, the pastor really nailed it this week. Although those are great comments, I'm not going to lie. However, the goal is to leave this place saying how great is our God because he's worth it and he has an intended meaning in his word to go and proclaim because if we leave this place saying how great is our God, are we not more likely to continue that act of worship as we go tell other people about Jesus? How can I say who Jesus is and ask people to get to know Jesus if I'm not taking the time to get to know Jesus myself. This is the type of preaching that is important for us. God doesn't send church motivational speakers or self-help gurus or social justice champions. He sends preachers who will say what God says in his word, the Bible. H.B. Charles, he's a great preacher from the States. He said it this way, that Preachers are heralds commissioned to proclaim the message of the king. And the word of God is found in the word of God, the Bible. If someone ever says to you, oh, God is telling me to tell you, always respond with chapter and verse. 
please tell me the chapter and verse that he's telling you this. These types of preaching says that God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish through the speaking of his word. This means that if a preacher wants their sermon to be filled with God's power, they must preach what God says. Isaiah 55 is a passage that kind of is ingrained in my mind. And I pray this almost every Sunday. I prayed this even as we were in our pre-service prayer time. As Isaiah says, for, oh, sorry, as God says to Isaiah, for as the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, he says. Emphatic, imperative, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Is there any wiggle room in that one? There's not. I'm going to just tell you. This is why we preach the word of God. It will accomplish what he says to do. Notice how God didn't say to Isaiah, now make sure that you have a number of these slides in with these videos and, you know, dress really good and all of these things. He says, preach my word. God's word will not return in void. It is too powerful. And when God said, let there be light, the immediate result was that there was light. When God, Jesus said, peace be still to the wind and the, and the, and the storm stopped and, and was calm, God's word will always prosper and God will succeed and those who receive his word will become will be overcomers as well. This type of preaching seeks to teach us, all of us, the whole congregation, how to handle God's word and to show them who he is and what that means for them. And there's a lot of other reasons why we should do this. I don't have time. I don't think. So why do we preach this way? We do this. We keep the Bible centered in all we do. Because God's word is living and active. And because it, it won't return in vain. And because God's word has power. And because of those who will receive his power will become overcomers. We preach this way because to make the main point of the text, the main point of the sermon, makes God's agenda rule the church. Not the preacher. We preach this way so we make no, God known more. We preach this way because 2 Timothy says that 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is useful and it precedes 2 Timothy 4. We want the Bible to be central to all we do. That's why we seek to preach the way we do. But why do we preach the Bible? In Paul's letter to Timothy in his second letter in 2 Timothy, he gives a pretty direct command. And if you've ever been to a, uh, an ordination service where the church confirms God's calling upon a man to preach the word, to be a pastor, this is one that's always quoted. This first is 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. In fact, if you ever have an opportunity to be on the stage, it's on our pulpit. In fact, it's actually written underneath the carpet. I didn't do any of those things, so I'm pretty cool. Why do we preach? First, because it's commanded. 
Verse 1 says, I charge you. I solemnly charge you. There's a big deal when Paul lists God as the one who's witnessing this, don't you think? This is a serious charge. Paul has called on God to be a witness in other parts of the Bible to emphasize the truth of what Paul is saying. And God is watching. He is telling Timothy to conduct himself as though he is under, literally under the gaze of God. You ever have that feeling where people are watching you all the time? God's always watching. Always. It's not the people around Timothy that will judge him. It is Jesus. And Jesus is coming back, and Timothy should be concerned with Christ's kingdom. And Timothy will answer to God for whether or not he preaches. So why do we preach? He's, we've been commanded to. So we preach because just as Timothy was called to preach, so every other pastor or elder or Sunday school teacher or whoever handles God's word is called to. And as James 3 verse 1 says, you need to be careful how you handle the word of God and that are teacher. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And teachers will face a stricter judgment on that last day. Those who abuse their position or distort the gospel will be judged accordingly. So we preach because God commanded us to. And those teachers who persevered in truth and love and served where God placed them will receive a blessing, a reward, and a joy of hearing from God, Jesus himself, that wonderful thing in Matthew. I, I, this is what I really just want on my tombstone when I die. I know. Everyone, oh, it's so morbid. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. So it's important. <coughs> whatever your context is, that if you teach, you teach the word of God according to what God has said. But what is Paul charging Timothy to do? In verse 2, he says, preach the word. Not part of it, not the parts that I like, the ones that are easy, all of it, especially the gospel. And Paul gives five imperative verbs when he's charging Timothy. And an imperative is an authoritative command, so you got to listen. This is not an option. So why do we preach? Because it's commanded. Why do we preach? The f what do we preach? The full word of God, not just the parts I like. Or skip over the hard stuff. And why do we preach? Or how do we preach, sorry? Seeking to proclaim God's intended message. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What does that mean? It means all of it. I'm just saying, it says all. It means all of it. The Old Testament, the New Testament, all parts of the gospel. And as you're reading it, I was, I was thinking about this even as I'm in the law right now in numbers in my personal time. It oozes the gospel. All of it oozes the gospel and tells of God's redemptive plan to redeem his people. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation. So we preach because we have been given the word of God and have been charged to openly declare God's word, his message. And we don't stand here declaring our own ideas about life or the 10 steps to make life better because they don't work. We don't preach our thoughts about current events. We don't turn this pulpit into our own platform for whatever is entertaining me at this time. Because as I said last week, I'm often like the squirrel, the dog. He's like, squirrel, 
the job of Timothy, the job of anybody who stands here, including me, is to preach the word of God as revealed in the Bible. This is the job. And just as Timothy, if the preacher fails to do this, he answers to God. And that means there will be topics that come up that we just don't like. If I preach through Matthew, at some point I have to get to topics like divorce. We don't like that. If I talk about Galatians, at some point I have to talk about sexuality and marriage. If I get into Genesis, I have to talk about abortion. These are all things that this world does not like, and it would be a lot easier to just keep going. So what do we mean by preach the gospel? For Paul, when he says preach the word, he's talking about especially the gospel. We need to understand what he means. And I think we often think the gospel applies just to the unbeliever, like a call to faith, a call to understand that there is a holy God and that we have sinned against him. And because of our sin, we deserve hell itself. But Jesus Christ has done from his throne and pays the price for all those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and life, Lord and Savior, and will have eternal life, which is true. But it's also for the believer. A call to continue to believe and live out the implications of what is believed. To be reminded daily that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So we preach the gospel by expounding the Bible. As Paul continues on with Timothy, he says, Be ready in season and out of season. In every part of your life, every situation. Is it a bad situation? Preach. Is it a good situation? Preach. The word of God is to be proclaimed. And I think this is so applicable even for you and for I, because every day we need to preach to ourselves the gospel. But how can we preach the gospel to ourselves if we actually don't spend time in the word ourselves? So we preach the gospel regardless of its convenience. Whether it's inconvenient or convenient, we preach. Here's something I've learned, and, or I am learning, that human opinion to discern what to preach is a bad gauge. What people will approve or not approve changes. But what must not change is what is preached because the word of God doesn't change. As for Timothy, the preacher preaches the word whether those are listening like it or not. In Isaiah 6, I read this, I think, on Tuesday, and it hit me hard. In verses 8 to 13, it tells us that God, is, God has called Isaiah to the ministry of preaching the word of God to Israel, his people. And this is right after uh, Isaiah professes and, and, and repents that his lips are unclean and God puts coal on his lips and, and makes him clean. Uh, the angel, sorry, puts coal on his lips and, and cleanses him of that sin. And then the next following part of that narrative is, is God charging Isaiah to preach because he's asked, who will go? And Isaiah says, I'll go. And he says, I'll go. It's almost like he didn't listen to the rest of what God's going to say. Because Isaiah 6, verse 9 and 10 says, And he said, Go and say to these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their, their ears heavy, 
and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Whatever, it doesn't matter if someone's going to listen or not, we preach. Why? As Paul continues on, because it reproves, rebukes, and exhorts. In other words, all, use all the Bible which has doctrine, which teaches, which instructs and tells us how and what am I supposed to do, which corrects, which is a discipline. For some reason, we think disciplining is wrong, but we discipline our children daily as a good thing. We apply it to our own spiritual life, too. There's a positive and negative that comes when we preach the Bible and teach the Bible. To reprove or to rebuke means to tell someone when they've done something wrong. And that creates conflict, right? Because, wow, have you ever told someone that they've done something wrong? How does that go for you? But we do it in season and out of seasons, regardless of its convenience, because it reproves, rebukes, and exhorts. We're talking about seeking to persuade someone that what they have done is wrong, but we do that through the word of God as that, so that's because that's what the Holy Spirit uses. We exhort, which means to urge strongly, which means sometimes we need to command someone to do something. Preaching is authoritative. It's exhorting people about what they should believe and do. It's like saying, hey, I know that Jesus commands us to do something, but, you know, whatever floats your boat. That's not how it works. Preaching is authoritative. It's exhorting people about what they should believe and do. And it's amazing how much I even struggle with this myself. We all do. Because we all hate being told what to do. But if that is God's word, it has a few things to say about what we should believe and do. And when we preach and exhort, that's what we're doing. And as Paul continues on, he answers that question, how do we do it with complete patience and teaching? I think we skip over that part a lot. A shepherd, a pastor, a teacher isn't supposed to be harsh or indifferent towards the sheep. There needs to be understanding and patience. I've used this illustration before, but in my office, when I was becoming ordained, my senior pastor, I was reminded about this because I just went out for lunch with him on Friday. It was a good time. My boss, um, not here. Uh, he, he, he gave me, when I was being ordained, a staff, like a shepherd's staff, and a rod. And they're two different items. One, the rod could literally kill someone. Uh, and it's, it's a weapon for sure. Yeah, the lawyer's saying yes. Um, <laughs> but the rod, and, then there's, and then, there's the, then there's the staff. These are the two tools of a shepherd. And I remember my words, the, my senior pastor said to me, his name was Steve, as he was handing me these two things, he says, Nate, that's my name, he says, do not use the rod on the sheep. It still sticks with me. We're called to teach and to preach the word of God. We're supposed to do it with authority because it's not my authority, it's God's authority. I'm preaching his word, but I'm to do it with complete patience and teaching. The pastor is to walk with people as they stumble and fall. We are called to do that with each other. We can't do that if you're argumentative or quarrelsome. That's why it's a requirement for eldership to not be either of those. 
But there's a tension because right before Paul talks about reproof, rebuking, and exhorting, the pastor still needs to be confrontational, but not in a way that is crushing or discouraging, but in a way that spurs people on to live in the way that God has commanded. I remember earlier in our marriage, I was supposed to tell my wife about this, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> I remember earlier in our marriage, I used to be, believe it or not, I used to be fairly argumentative all the time, believe it or not. Uh, I'm a lot gentler now, you can ask my wife. Uh, so God is sanctifying me through the work of the Holy Spirit. But as I was, you know, as I was being confrontational with someone, and if my wife, sorry, with Steph was with me, I would suddenly feel the squeeze on my knee if it was under the table, <laughs> right? And she would say, after we got into the car or something, She's like, it's not what you said was wrong, it's how you said it. And that's how we have to be with each other as well. That's why sometimes in churches you see how some churches are so argumentative all the time and contentious because their pastor is argumentative and contentious. They're just doing what they've been taught. But we are called to be doing this with complete patience and teaching. And it's all about the tension, which sometimes is done well and sometimes not so much. And this is all done in that way. So how can a pastor even be patient? How can an elder be patient? How can you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, who's also called to walk with people, if it be your kids or grandkids or your neighbors or whoever God has brought into your life, how can you do that with patience and, and teaching? What makes it so patient? Well, let's go back. Who's the one that transforms lives? How are people transformed? Is it by your slick way of talking? Is it your ability to make the best arguments? Because in my case, I can argue pretty well. And, someone, and I might feel like I won the argument, but I can walk away somehow feeling like I lost the argument. Well, who, does, who does the transforming of lives? What transforms lives? And the question, and when you answer that, that is how you can be patient because it's the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit that changes minds and hearts, not the eloquence of words, but the power of God. As Zechariah 4, 6 says, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And what this verse tells us is that it is by the Holy Spirit that people are changed. So we preach because it's commanded, and it is the only way that God uses to transform lives. You can do it patiently. We can do it patiently, sorry, because it's not even those who teach or preach that changes hearts. It's God through the power of his Spirit. But there's a second reason why we also preach. Why do we preach? Because the time is coming when people will want to be entertained more than taught. This is a heart-wrenching thing to me. Because I don't know how many times, you know, the critiques of a sermon are not based upon how well the word of God was handled, but by how people were entertained during it. I'm trying to say that very kindly. Verse 3 says, will not endure sound teaching. There will be people that won't want biblical exhortation and rebukes. What do they want? They want itching ears. They want their ears to be itched. Some people are more concerned with being entertained rather than the truth. 
and they want to be comfortable, or they want, to, they want the preacher that's such a good communicator. And I'm not saying that a preacher should not work at the art of preaching. There is an art of rhetoric. If you are in a job where you speak in front of people, you do seek to get better at rhetoric, at talking. We're not trying to make boring, monotone voices. I wander around here. Some churches, they don't. It doesn't matter. But the issue is the motives behind the heart. Those people who have itching ears don't want preachers to stop itching them. They will want preachers to tell them what they want to hear and that they are believing and doing just fine. The Bible tells us that we're not. This comes through as one may look for a preacher to tell them happy things, who makes lots of jokes, things that say things that say that those sinful desires that are deep inside of your heart, oh, they're they're okay. Don't worry about it. God loves you the way you are. Forgetting that if God loves you, like a father loves his children. He will reprove, rebuke, and exhort you. That's why Paul says they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So why we preach the word? Because it's the word of God that you need. And there's this quote that's often um, associated with Spurgeon, and there's actually no historical data to actually say it's Spurgeon, but so that's why I'm doing the disclaimer. But it says this, a time will come when Instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. But here's the issue. We often think of terms of the liberal side, don't we? And this is where it hits hard. Because itching ears are on both sides of the aisle. Trevin, uh, Trevin Wax has this great article. He talks about this. He says this, the congregation of teetotalers, he says, who hire pastors who every week without fail will condemn alcohol in the pulpit. The congregation of staunch Republicans or conservatives who hires a pastor that will preach against the gays and the liberals and the environmentalist wackos every week. Or the congregation of Calvinists who hire a pastor that will preach against the errors of those pesky Arminians every week. (laughs) The congregation of door-to-door evangelists who hire a pastor that will rail against all the mammy-pammy lifestyle conversations that pass for evangelism in the day. Can you hear the hearty amens? Coming from the pews? Yes, Lord, help us not to be like those timid Christians. Help us not to be like those divine sovereignty denying Arminians. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from the liberals of this country. Thank you, Lord, that we're not like the social drinkers. Tickling ears happens more than one way. I think this sounds a lot like Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. And Jesus' parable about a taxpayer and a Pharisee. As Jesus says, he also told them a parable to come who trust in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, 
extortioners, unjust adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I pray for us as a church. I pray for this for myself. I pray for this for Pastor Matt or, uh, or Peter Mayberry who will be preaching this summer or any of our elders or anyone who stands here. Lord, save us from ear-tickling preaching of every kind the ones that make us simply comfortable, and even the kind of ear-tickling that comes from hard, pulpit-pounding preaching, or the ones that are entertaining. As Paul continues on in verse 4, he says, and will turn away, as people are driven by their own desires rather than that of the word of God says, they will begin to accept myths rather than truth. Why would someone follow myths? Because it confirms that they want to get and gives them permission to believe in it. The Bible has to be our grid. So we preach the Bible because it's not only commanded, not only because it's the source of life and discipline and encouragement, how we come to know who God is or how we grow as disciples of Jesus, but also because it's not about our entertainment. The goal of any gathering of any church, especially Knollwood, is for us to walk away and say those words, wow, how great is my God. I needed that reminder today as I leave this place. This week was awful. And my eyes were so fixated on what this week was like. Or maybe it was a really awesome week and that's all you can think about. I needed my eyes back on Jesus. So we gather to be sent out to be reminded of our God, who our God is. That's why we preach because our God is so great. Is he not great? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this pastor who's been preaching about preaching? <laughs> and by the way, there's far better uh, guys who preach on the, this very subject. H.B. Charles is one of them. Why preach the word of God? Because we long for lives to be changed. As Paul says to the church in Corinth, which I often very much identify with he says this in first verse uh, chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 and i when i came to you brothers do not come proclaiming to you the testimony of god with lofty speech or wisdom for i decided to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified and i was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of, of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We preach, here's the main point, we preach because it is the word of God that reproves, rebukes, and exhorts as we seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't read books. Books are good. We have a whole bunch of them on our library. I encourage you to read all of them. Books are good. 
and they help a good book, a good Christian book, points us more to God's word more. But we should be more concerned with what God has to say rather than what so-and-so has to say. Because that's what transforms our lives. The foundation of a church that seeks to be disciples who make disciples is the centrality of the word of God. And that's what we see in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So often we go and seek to share the gospel with someone, God converts them, and then we're like, all right, you're good to go. Go nuts. Go jump in the deep end. We need to take time to teach people. So why do we preach the Bible? Let me ask you another question. Do you want lives to be changed? Do you want to see what was dead made alive again? Do you want to see people grow in their understanding of who God is so that they can withstand the storms of this life? Preach the word. What what we are teaching those around us, each other, is to be obedient to what God's word is. If you desire to know more about handling the word of God or teaching the word of God, I strongly encourage you to sign up for our Knollwood Foundations class, which is starting next Sunday, being taught by one of our elders, Peter Mayberry. Oh, there it is. Uh, Knollwood Foundations. You can even use your little phone to scan the code there. The Bible and prayer on how to study, to teach, and to pray the word of God. So what does the Bible say? That's the question, right? And what is God intended to meaning of this text? And what does this mean for me today? This is why we preach, because God is worth, worthy of it all. Alistair Begg said it well, when we, preach God's, when we preach God's purposes for us will be accomplished when we submit our hearts to the faithful teaching of scriptural truth. I can't emphasize the importance of preaching the Bible in the life of a healthy local church. And if you are finding that no matter what preacher you're listening to, you're not ever being challenged, you're never being rebuked or, re, or reproved or exhorted, then I would challenge you on you calling them a preacher. We gather together as a whole community to exalt Christ through expository preaching and the singing of these songs. And this affects us in many ways. We preach and teach and open the Bible with people because it's the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. We preach because it is the word of God that reproves, rebukes, and exhorts as we seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us do that as we continue to worship our awesome God. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your inerrant and infallible word of God. Lord, I pray that we would be people of the word, that we would seek to know you more as you have shown yourself in your word, that we would go out and proclaim that. I pray that as a church, that no would would be known as people of the word, that for 80 years your word has been preached here, and may that happen for 80 more. May you be glorified and honored, and amen.